Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello and welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey, I'm your host, and joining me is Emily, my hey co-host. Guys. How you doing, Em? I'm doing awesome. It's yeah. been a good year so far. So far. Yeah. Yeah, we're like a couple days into 2018. Uh-huh. And so far, you've just been crushing it. Hey, like, this thank is you. your year. It is, yeah. I'm excited about it. I don't really it. know what that means. Me neither. But, but it's your year. I have hope for that. <laughs> That's right. That's just what they say now. It's like, hey, this is your year. Mm. So... Yeah, this is it. Hopefully it's your year too. I hope so too. Yeah. I hope so too. Yeah, so we are jumping into a new year. I know you as a listener, you're jumping into a new year. Everybody's got lots of um, ambitions going mm-hmm. into the new year. Usually Diets. have a lot of <laughs> diet plans. You're on you're on paleo, which is just I insane. Am. I'm not ever doing paleo ever again. I just feel really good when I'm on it. Whew. Man, that's kudos to you. This is your year. I have stomach problems. This is your year. (laughs) Uh, So lots of ambition, lots of New Year's resolutions. And uh, I thought maybe we would talk a little bit about one thing we talked about in staff meeting a couple weeks ago as we were launching into a new year. Um, I just kind of asked what were some reflections that you guys were having over Christmas break? And what are some things that you're looking forward to in 2018 as you're reflecting on the past and you're looking forward to the future? I think it's important to do both of those things. And um, and so, M, share with me a little bit about your reflections on uh, looking forward into the 2018. Yeah. So one thing that um, we talk about often is like having a word of the year, mm-hmm. um, something that we feel like the Lord is like downloading on our heart that he's just asking us to be um, expectant for or, or pursuing. Um, and last year, my word was endurance, okay. um, which is actually a perfect word. Um, I felt like there were a few situations that like we had walked into that were really hard. Mm. Um, And so it was like, hey, just push through this. Like the Lord's going to be faithful on the other side. And um, ironically enough, I felt like I ran out of steam, like right at the end of the year. So the Lord gave me enough energy (laughs) to make it through 2017. Um, And over that Christmas break period, um, Kent, my husband and I just spent a lot of time like reflecting on the year and the things that we were thankful for and um, the things that we'd be praying for in 2018. And uh, my my word of the year is actually two words. Okay. Um, so I don't know if that still counts That's or okay. not. That's <laughs> okay. Two words. You have two <laughs> but, words of the year. Um, I felt like the Lord was just asking me to have holy anticipation. Wow. Um, which is like heavy. I feel like it's really heavy, but um, just walking into 2018, knowing that, um, you know, the Lord has been faithful. He'll mm-hmm. continue to be faithful. Um, trusting him that the, the prayers that are up on our prayer wall in our home yeah. are going to be answered, whether that's this year or in the future. Um, but that all we have to do is, is be steadfast and continue to pray for those things. And so um, I feel like this year for me is one that I'm just like leaning into Jesus. Yeah, I'm really just trying to like, um, this sounds kind of churchy, but like usher him in to, wow. to whatever space that we're in and um, just being submissive to like doing whatever he'd ask me to do and go wherever he'd tell me to go and anticipate that, um, you know, big things are going to happen in yeah. his name. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. I know sometimes we, I'll say this to our congregation that the your level of experience directly correlates with your level of expectation. Mm, yeah. So if you show up with your fork ready to eat, mm-hmm. there's going to be something put in front of you. Yeah, for and sure. And I think that's what 2018 looks like for you guys is this holy anticipation. And yeah. it's okay to have two words, I guess, for your worthy year, especially <laughs> you. if you put holy on the front <laughs> right, of it. Right, yeah. You know? I Not mean, just the anticipation. <laughs> yeah, can't just be anticipation. It's holy anticipation. Yeah. That's really good. Well, what about you know, for you? Well, yeah, this word of the year concept is a really cool thing. A couple of years ago, I heard this from somebody and decided to adopt it. So um, we started 
I started thinking about word of the year for our church. Mm -hmm. And then I decided to translate that over into a word of the year for our family. And so I wrote, just wrote a blog post on this and released it um, a little bit ago. So you can go on davyblackburn.com and read some more about some of that information. But I just think that sticking to like one focal point for the year and putting your eyes on that really helps to eliminate all the clutter. Yeah, It kind of brings things into focus a little more. And sometimes you don't really know that like, I think the word is almost eerily uh, foreshadowing too of the year, but it's like something that God sets deep into your heart and mm-hmm. you go, okay, I can't get this word off of my mind. If you spend time reflecting and thinking about it, I can't get this word off my mind. And so I just feel like this is what God is speaking to our family about. So this right. year, Christy and I were on our honeymoon and we were like, okay, what's our word for the year? And uh, also we wanted to correlate that with a verse for the year as well. And so uh, we thought our word would be the word flow. Okay. Which for us is really important because things have been so chaotic the past couple of years, each of us in survival mode mm-hmm. with, you know, single parenthood and trying to do all the different things that God's called us to do. And then we're merging this family together. You merge two very complicated, chaotic lives together. There can be, um, it, it can be, it can be tough. And yeah. so what our aim this year is, is to try to find a really good, healthy rhythm and healthy flow to our lives. And uh, we didn't choose rhythm because we, we found a verse that we thought exemplified exactly what we were trying to communicate. And that, that verse was this in Ezekiel 47, 12, it says, their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit, will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Hmm. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. And so that just stuck out to us because we feel like everything we've walked through, each of us individually, but also together, um, that that God's going to do something out of that to serve as healing for other people and yeah. already has been. And that that we just want to be in that divine flow of what God's doing in our life and then kind of carry our life out in a very healthy flow so that it can produce healing for other people I as love well. That. That's so good. yeah, that's our word for 2018. And um, it's, uh, it's just, a, I, I would challenge the listener to kind of think about your year and think about, man, God, what is one concept or one word that you want me to focus my attention on yeah. this year? You know, uh, maybe it's organization or maybe it's <laughs> spontaneity or maybe, mm-hmm. it, I don't know, I don't know, but you can kind of think of what God's pressed on to your heart for that. So today we have um, a, a really special interview and it's with a couple that I got the opportunity to meet him, Todd, uh, shortly after Amanda passed. Okay. And so really briefly, I don't want to tell too much of their story, but really briefly, Todd's wife and daughter both were murdered. Wow. And so he reached out to me almost immediately after Amanda passed. We sat down a couple months later, and he's just been one of those kind of wise sages in my life that has walked through almost exactly what I've walked through, has had to deal with all the trauma of losing a spouse um, and a daughter at a totally different age, but right. um, then and, and, and losing in the, in the violent nature that he did and then having to sit through courtroom experiences and having to work on forgiveness. Um, he actually knew the man that murdered them. Wow. Um, and so just to, this is a powerful story. And uh, I think what's even more powerful is the redemption, the redemption that has come out of their story as well. Mm-hmm. Kathy lost her husband years and years ago, and the Lord brought the two of them together and they got married just uh, a little about a year ago now okay. and uh, and so I just wanted to bring them on the podcast and talk all things um, loss and grief and remarriage and how you're blending families and doing that because it's just very pertinent for me yeah, so for sure even if this doesn't help the listener it's helping me mm-hmm. and we also have another special guest on this interview yeah my new bride Christy 
So this is going to be really good. So you're going to want to listen to this interview. It's going to yes. be really awesome. So um, yeah, let's just let's dive in. Hey, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. I am so thrilled to have these two guests with me today. I'm sitting here, actually have three guests today. <laughs> I'm sitting here with Todd and Kathy Erb, and I'm also sitting here with my new beautiful wife, Christy, <laughs> now Blackburn. Yes, I forget that sometimes. <laughs> because, yeah, you were actually filling out a form today, and you put Christy Monroy, and I was like, hey, 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 hold on a second. I know. <laughs> I went through a lot to try to change that last name. Let's go. Um, but man, this is a really special special conversation because Todd and Kathy have a story uh, that is very parallel to our story. And so I wanted Christy to sit down with me and for us to ask questions of Todd and Kathy um, because, uh, man, my journey with Todd goes back uh, almost a couple years now. And the, the first time that, well, a little bit more than a couple years, the first time we met, but the first time we sat down was about two years ago now. And, and so I just wanted him to come with his wife, Kathy, to sit down and have a conversation with us about all things loss, tragedy, walking with Jesus through all of that, but then also some really cool redemption, mm -hmm. restoration pieces to their story. And I'm not going to spoil the story because I want you to hear this story because it's, um, it's, it's heart-wrenching. It's uh, completely, completely um, tragic, but also uh, very triumphant. And, uh, and this, is, this is the cool thing about the God that we serve. So, Todd, oh. Kathy, great to have you guys on the podcast. Great Thank to be you. here, Davey. It's I wanna, good to be here. I want to um, let you guys kind of just tell the story, okay? I don't, I don't want to, and maybe I'll just interject as, you, you know, as I see fit, but Todd, why don't you uh, start and tell us a little bit about kind of what led you, you know, back several years ago, what led you into your personal crisis, and then what led you to uh, us meeting. Right, absolutely. Well, I guess the starting point in that regard, Davey, is um, the tragedy that occurred in my life really uh, occurred on uh, December the 20th, uh, 2013. Mm. It was a Friday, uh, as you know, by the time of the year season that it was very near Christmas. And uh, I was just getting ready to uh, take two weeks off of vacation from my work, uh, kind of a holiday vacation time, always look so forward to doing that with my family and um, literally just the excitement that I knew that I was feeling uh, driving home on that Friday afternoon. Uh, I was just so thrilled to be done with work and this was about 4.30 in the afternoon. And um, so everything seemed ordinary uh, to me as I pulled into the garage uh, with the exception that I saw that my wife's car was missing from the garage bay. Mm. And I didn't really think a whole lot of it other than to say, she's probably just out running errands or maybe some last minute Christmas shopping. But <clears throat> as I stepped into the house, uh, entered the house, it, it was quiet, but there were uh, lights on, nobody was really around. Uh, but I saw just some different things uh, that were out of place, just mm. kind of out of the ordinary. Uh, for instance, uh, the microwave door was left open and there was some food sitting in there. And this was 4.30 in the afternoon and I'm mm. thinking, well, it's, uh, it's too late for lunchtime, too early for dinner time. It just seems a little odd. Mm -hmm. And then as I really started walking around the house, um, 
I thought, well, maybe my daughter Kelly might be at home, which wouldn't be uncommon for her to be at home. She uh, was age 23 at the time, lived with us still at home, but uh, didn't see any evidence of her being around. Uh, The only evidence I saw of anyone was our dog, Lucy. And the more that I started really kind of wandering around the house, um, not seeing anybody at home, I just saw enough things that were, again, just out of place, lights on in different rooms for no real reason. And so I thought I'd venture downstairs um, into the basement because I saw basement lights on, again, which were a little out of the ordinary. But I thought, well, maybe that's where my daughter Kelly was in terms of watching TV or something mm-hmm. like that. So I went down into the basement and um, didn't see anybody around and was uh, literally getting ready to, to come back upstairs when my dog Lucy uh, came down into the basement. And, and that's kind of where she enters into the story here to the extent of um, she, she didn't like to be in the basement. She rarely would come down to the basement, even if we were down there as a family. But she was down in the basement, and then she went over to the service door to our mechanical room, which was shut at the time, and was just kind of hunching down at that door, which mm. which uh, was very unusual. And I kind of just said, "Hey, girl, what uh, what what's the matter? What are you? Uh, what's going on?" And she just stayed hunched down there at the door threshold. And I thought, "Well, I open the door and see what's up." And uh, upon opening that door, um, honestly, that's when my life changed because mm. I saw. Uh, within a matter of just feet in front of me, my uh, wife lying on the floor, it was a concrete floor, and a pool of blood um, was coming from her head, had been coming from her head heavily, I could tell. And of course, my immediate reaction was, oh my God, uh, what's happened? You know, did did she fall? Did she Mm -hmm. have a fall or something and hit her head hard? And so as I uh, was literally approaching her to get closer, uh, I caught another glimpse off the corner of my eye to my left. Uh, My daughter Kelly was in the exact same state, uh, lying on the concrete floor with a pool of blood um, coming from her head or having come from her head. And I was just just beside myself. I mean, I almost had to rub my eyes to get a clear vision as to, am I really seeing this? Am I really seeing um, this scene before me? And upon seeing that, uh, I immediately dialed 911. Mm. I mean, that was just uh, the first and only thing that, uh, Mm. that I knew to do. And at the same time I was doing that, I was almost yelling at the top of my lungs, uh, oh my God, just screaming, mm-hmm. oh my God. I mean, and it wasn't an irreverent type of expression. Right. It was just seriously, um, God, I need you right Calling now. Calling out to God. Yeah, mm-hmm. I absolutely need you in this moment because I don't know what I'm seeing here. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what's happened. And um, so... Um, I, I don't know how much you'd like for me to continue yeah. on details. Uh, there's obviously a lot to share. Yeah, let me ask you this too. Um, before I um, before I lose some of this train of thought, but I, you know, I noticed that you have a very keen sense of the details of that day, and yeah. I can relate with that because there was something about November 10th 
walking in and finding Amanda in the same state that my my brain just took immediate snapshots of details all over the house, uh, almost subconsciously. I didn't even know it was happening until later I was asked to recall the details by investigators and I was just spitting them out. Now I even read reports of those details and I, I kind of don't remember them, but there was something so um, so concrete about those details at the time. Do you find, um, I, I guess one of the questions I'd love to ask you and then we can kind of move forward in the, in the story, but do you find that those details, one, is it is it hard to to have those details in your mind as you're processing through trauma? Um, do you find that you have to try to how do you how do you not let those details be traumatic to you? Because you're sitting here right now composed talking about these details and um, and yet if if you're anything like me, when you talk about it, it still is like this this twinge that you know, your heart can start racing and, you know, it's, it's tough. Have you, have you talked about it a lot since then? Do you find it hard to remove those details from your mind or get them out? Or do you want to keep them or how have you processed through all of that? Well, to, to your point in terms of, um, remembering the details, uh, they're, they are just so deeply ingrained mm. in, in my mind. And then really even in my heart going through the recalling the emotion of the moment, but um, I think more than anything else in terms of how I would respond to your question uh, as I recall those details, um, and I'd have to say only by the grace of God, um, as I recall them, uh, and it's been now f- uh, over four years ago, um, they're stuck in my mind vividly, but God has given me, and I feel it's just absolutely directly from His hand, uh, this depth of grace mm-hmm. whereby um, I recall the details, but uh, he he's veiled them to mm-hmm. a point where I've never had a, a nightmare uh, in terms of a sleepless night. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, don't get me wrong, there have been right. occasions of not being able to sleep, but it's not been this depth of just recalling to the point yeah. of uh, fear and, uh, you know, nightmares mm-hmm. as you would think of them. Mm-hmm. Wow. The the one thing that I do remember um, that comes to the forefront too, as you as you said, Davy, mm-hmm. going through your experiences, I knew that the scene that I was visualizing was severe enough that um, I remember specifically saying to myself and feeling like my life has now changed forever. Yeah. I mean, in that moment of almost simultaneously dialing nine one one. I knew that my life would never be the same. Right, right. So you come home and you uh, find your wife and daughter, um, call 911. What happens after that? What, I mean, did you know immediately that, did you have the intuition that they were gone? Were they were they dead at that point? Well, what? and I don't want to get too terribly graphic, but mm-hmm. let's just say the scene that I was visualizing or had, had come upon um, was seemingly so severe that I didn't uh, feel that there was any mm-hmm. uh, way of recovery. I mean, my intent, obviously, in dialing 911 was to get uh, EMT on the right. scene to try to revive if there was any remote chance. And uh, just as I was talking to the 911 operator and was just about ready to give uh, administer CPR to my daughter, I mean, I, I got it. She was lying on her stomach, and I mean, I remember touching her 
and starting to lift her to roll mm-hmm. her over onto her back uh, and get her in a position to administer CPR. But just almost at that same moment I was attempting to do that, the doorbell rang. I mean, mm. the, the uh, emergency folks were there that wow. quickly. And so she told me, uh, go up and let them in immediately. Um, so I ran up there, obviously, as quickly as possible. And um, it, it was a Westfield police officer that was first on the scene. Mm. And um, so I started to go downstairs w- with him to show him, you know, where, where and which room. And and he stopped me at a certain point, and he told me to go back upstairs and uh, and and wait for the EMTs. Mm. Um, but yeah, so the first responders uh, had finally uh, come very shortly after that, and uh, then there was a second. Uh, Westfield police officer that came in on the scene mm-hmm. and basically escorted me out of the house at that point uh, mm-hmm. into his uh, police car, which was sitting down at the curb of the street. Mm-hmm. And and he wouldn't let me get out of his car uh, at, at any point in time. Uh, although I saw friends and family uh, drive up on the scene, I just so badly, so desperately wanted to, to get out and, and try to find some comfort, you know, to, mm-hmm. uh, to find someone I knew and start telling them, you know, what I had just witnessed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but he, he wouldn't let me out of the car. Wow. And so we sat out in the front, uh, of the curb of the street. Well, uh, all said and done, we were probably sitting out there for at least three hours or more. And I was watching uh, fire trucks and ambulances and police cars just come at the end of the cul-de-sac to our street. All of this commotion happening, and uh, and finally I was able to uh, uh, see one of my relatives. Mm-hmm. It was a cousin of mine that was really the first encounter I had with anybody that I knew, and uh, and he offered a lot of relief. And then the senior pastor of Grace Church came, uh, Dave Rodriguez, mm-hmm. and. He sat in the car with me, and, and we prayed, and ultimately and eventually my uh, daughter and son-in-law uh, came, uh, and of course that was mm-hmm. just a, an excruciating encounter, having yeah. to, to tell my daughter um, what I had just witnessed. Right, so. right. Um, what was some of the, you know, that that day and, and then the weeks to follow? Uh, first of all, when did you find out for sure from authorities, okay, this is... You know they're gone, and then what? What kind of a processing took place in those next couple of days and and weeks to follow? I know you know you're obviously a man of really strong faith, and were before this a very close relationship with the Lord. So how how did that play into your processing as you began? to uh, wrestle with the reality of your life being completely turned upside down. Right. One thing I want to interject and go back Mm -hmm. to is um, that I feel is kind of an important point. And that was the the time that I was waiting at the door, as I had mentioned before, waiting for the first responders Mm -hmm. to come after that first Westfield police officer came on the scene. So I was standing at the door for a period of time, uh, just just waiting. And as I was standing there, I remember um, very specifically feeling as if I was at a crossroads even that quickly mm. with um, what, I'm, what am I going to do with God? Wow. Where's God in this? And then what am I going to do with him? Mm-hmm. And the thoughts that occurred to me were, were 
there's two different options right then and there. I was either going to become so angry and so bitter and run as far and fast away from God as I possibly Mm. could, because how could a God have loved if he loved me? How could he allow this to happen Mm -hmm. to my family? Mm -hmm. Or I was going to come to the realization that the only option that I really have is to run as fast and as quick to him and have him embrace me and um, just experience his love, just yeah. allow mm-hmm. me to experience his love. Yeah. And, and that was my only option. Yeah. I mean, as I was at that crossroads, that really was the reality of um, that That was my only option. Mm. So... W- when was it that you found out what had happened? What well, was that? Yeah, um, so as I told you, we sat at the curb there for uh, uh, several hours, mm. and I didn't see them bringing Mary Leonard Kelly out on stretchers. I mean, in mm-hmm. other words, so I knew they couldn't have, uh, honestly, I came to the conclusion for myself that they just couldn't couldn't be alive because right. they would have taken would them have out them, more, yeah. more immediately. Uh, in direct answer to your question, I, I really found out uh, for sure um, when I was at the Westfield Police Station later that evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's where... They took me and my family and, and even the friends that were there as we all went to the Westfield Police Station and had to file a report. And they interviewed uh, many different people on that evening, mm-hmm. including myself. And uh, I think we didn't leave the police station until about 2 a.m., mm-hmm. um, just having been asked all kinds of questions. And then uh, just the ramifications of what I may have known. I mean, they wanted to know uh, exactly what I did for that entire day, Mm -hmm. Um, my whereabouts and activities and so forth. And other friends and family were there to kind of verify that. So, but, but it was later that evening that I knew for certain that they, that they had passed away. Wow. Wow. Um, No, you know, I haven't asked you this yet as far as how comfortable you feel, but do you feel comfortable telling the listener exactly what had happened, what you discovered eventually whenever that was well yeah i upon really first seeing things my first thought um is that they really had been shot in the Mm -hmm. head because that's that's just what i thought had happened what it looked like i didn't really find out exactly what was the cause of their death until um the day of their viewing Mm. um before the church at Grace Church, which was on December the 26th. And the coroner had called me and had a conversation with me on that morning and said the official uh, cause of death for both Mary Lynn and Kelly was uh, blunt force trauma Mm -hmm. to the head. So, um, yeah, and admittingly, Davey, that's kind of hard for Mm -hmm. me to even say that now because um, they were the two most innocent Yeah. uh, women that I could have ever yeah. have introduced you to. They were sweet. They were mm-hmm. beautiful. They were godly women. And my wife was so abhorrent to um, uh, just a- any kind of violence. Right. I mean, she just abhorred violence. And here she was the victim of one of the most violent yeah, acts absolutely. That, that could have been committed, mm. um, as well as my daughter. And... Um, so, yeah, walking through all that, Davey, in terms of uh, the days and, and weeks that um, came about, uh, 
it was really just kind of walking through a fog. I mm. mean, life was just a haze. And, and I kept saying to myself in these surreal moments that, um, you know, is this really happening mm. to me? I mean, am I really experiencing what I'm seeing and feeling uh, and going through? And and unfortunately, the answer always came back yes. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was the one going through all this, walking, you know, walking through all mm-hmm. this in the most unbelievable of ways. Um, and, um, you know, even to this day, certainly uh, my humanness wants to say still, you know, but, but why, God? Mm-hmm. You know, why, why um, did you allow this to happen? Yeah. And I think there's a, an important distinction between Knowing that God uh, didn't cause this to happen, mm. I, I never blamed him for saying, um, God, why did you cause this to happen? Right. But, the, but the reality was, God, why did you allow this yeah. to happen? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure even for you, Davey, mm-hmm. you have to ask yourself that. Yep. No matter how much time passes, just yep. the humanness that comes out of us is to say, um, you know, why? Right. But, but I think you and I have both seen evidences and answers to that. Mm-hmm. I know I can say without question that, yes, even in the deepest of tragedies, uh, God allowed this to happen, but there's a message in this. Mm-hmm. There's a message in all of this. In right. fact, it's part of the reason why we're sitting here today having this conversation right. is you and I want to deliver a message to anybody that's going through any pain or tragedy that there is hope. Yeah. There is always hope in our Savior, Jesus yeah. Christ, mm-hmm. to put our faith and our trust in Him. And, mm-hmm. and that's where it lies for me, mm-hmm. four years down the road, being removed from what had happened, but it, it's a lifetime journey. Yeah. I mean, it is for the rest of my life yep. um, that that is going to be the case. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know it's funny that you say that this idea of a lifetime journey because it is it's something that you'll be marked by for the rest of your life. I'll be marked by it. All of our tragedies will mark us in some way for the rest of our lives. Um, and and sometimes the question arises, you know, even inside my own spirit, you know, how healed am I from this? Would you comment on that for yourself? You know, I know that you've probably seen. Uh, phases and stages of healing for yourself, and maybe even sometimes where you're you're going, okay, I feel like that I'm pretty healed, past tense from this, and then you'll move into a season where you're like, wait a minute, I thought I was past this, you know? Yeah. How has that that been for you, especially the first year or two of um, of walking through this? Yeah, um, I think I commented earlier as far as just. The color of life, mm-hmm. uh, particularly and really including all through the first year, was just um, nothing but gray. Mm-hmm. There was there was really no color to life. Yep. Um, the joy that I had experienced before, the happiness, uh, was just virtually gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my whole walk through the whole first year because every day there was just every day that passed for the uh, first year was a first. Mm. Um, And of course, all of the birthdays, all of the holidays, Mm -hmm. the anniversaries, the special occasions, uh, the vacations, they, I mean, they just, they were just all different and and all took on a, uh, a different color, but the the color was just primarily gray. Mm -hmm. Mm. And, and I think, a very large part of my healing process through the first year was uh, the love and support that I got from so many. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got, I got, 
hundreds upon hundreds of, of cards and, and emails and expressions of uh, sympathy, mm. uh, just overwhelming uh, the response. And uh, various invitations to uh, come over for dinner, mm-hmm. uh, to do different things. And this is one thing that I, I wanted to kind of comment on yeah. that was a little bit contrary to my spirit previously in that as much as I was getting um, invited to do different things previously uh, uh, within my married life, I kind of would have would have said, well, I can kind of take that or leave that. And on many occasions might have even preferred to, to not commit or not go somewhere, right. do something. But I really felt that God was prompting me to say yes to just mm. about every invitation. Wow. In other words, I just was compelled to accept uh, the outpouring of love. Mm. And, and I think for me was just crucial, was key to a large part of my healing process yeah. to begin with. Wow. And, and, and I can sit here and I can say, well, but I allowed that to happen. I said yes, uh, but <laughs> that wasn't my nature. It mm. was God, it was God in, in really a supernatural way, I think, just instilling His Holy Spirit within me yeah. to say, you know, you, you need to say yes to these things wow. because these are helpful and good things. And as it turned out, in every occasion, they were just a, a remarkable part yep. of my healing process. That's really funny you mentioned that, Todd, because I tell people that that's what 2016 was for me, is I said yes to everything. And I didn't even know why. I just knew that my life had been turned around so drastically that I did not have a strategy for how I was going to get through it. You know, up until that point, before November 10th, 2015, I was, you know, I'm a very goal oriented strategy-driven type person. And I had my life planned out. I had my days planned out, my weeks planned out, my hours planned out, my minutes planned out, had everything planned out. And then these kinds of things remind you that you're not in control uh, as much as you think you are. And so going into 2016, I was like, Lord, I can't heal myself. I got, I have no strategy for this. So I'm going to say yes to everything that you bring my way. And I just, I think the way I look at it, almost like a word, uh, in, in some ways a word picture is it's like God kind of whispered around the corners like, hey, come here. I want to I want to take you with me on this journey of healing. Mm-hmm. You know, let me show you some things and let me invite you into some things. And it's a very, even looking back on 2016, it was a very sweet closeness and nearness to the Lord of hopping on airplanes and, you know, going and sitting with different, you know, sometimes pastors and leaders and sometimes people who like yourself who would just walk through something horrific as well and just going, okay, I'm just here to listen and just here to take in. And um, I think there's something powerful to just following Jesus in that way, you know, especially after crisis has really hit your life. Yeah, I I look at it or kind of think of it as uh, from what you even just expressed, you know, I was allowing myself to be ministered to. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now the flip side of that is, I feel that God's tapped me on the shoulders to say, hey, I've healed you enough and mm. brought you far enough along that now you need to reach out and minister to others, wow. whatever that looks like. Yep. And I've tried to be an open vessel um, to to be free and to be open to doing that in, in whatever manner possible mm-hmm. to, to bring just that, I mean, help and hope to others mm. who have gone through painful things. Wow. Okay, so before before we jump over to Kathy and kind of get her backstory, this kind of leads me to how you and I met then, you know, 
Because I think even at that point, I don't know where you would say you, you were on your journey in that spectrum if you felt like you were ready to reach out to people, but you certainly did reach out to me in the midst of my tragedy. Yeah. And um, so why don't you walk me through from your perspective, you know, what led you to, I mean, you showed up at Amanda Celebration Service and introduced yourself to our family, your family did. I remember vividly meeting you and hearing it, but almost not being able to process it, you yeah. know? Yeah. And hearing like, hey, you know, my wife and daughter were murdered. Whenever you're ready, I'd love to talk to you. Yeah. But just kind of just not being able to process it until months later, you reached out to me again. But walk us through that yeah. from your perspective. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to sit here and, and, and look at you and hear you say that because I, I saw in your face on that very first occasion uh, the very thing you're describing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I saw you listening to me and I think you heard what I had had to say, but yet I, I knew that you were just still in mm -hmm. such a painful state that uh, you really could scarcely take it all in. But in terms of what prompted me to to reach out to you was um, I just felt God's Spirit uh, tapping my heart to say, my goodness, here's a young man that has gone through a very similar circumstance as to what I just experienced within the last year. Mm -hmm and uh, wasn't really prepared or didn't quite know how to process that other than I just felt this prompting. I mean, it was just an overwhelming, compelling that, um, you know, if he'll allow me, I at least want to offer um, to sit down and, and mm. talk and uh, compare notes, if you will, to yeah. compare the fact that we had just gone through such similar things. Mm -hmm. and. And God's spirit was just uh, overwhelming me to say, I, I've got to reach out. I mean, I just have to reach out to this young man and uh, uh, just offer myself um, uh, to meet and have a conversation. Mm. And I also remember, though, uh, the feeling of uh, being sensitive to um, how you were feeling, um, knowing that if you weren't ready, then um, it was just a matter of waiting. And yeah. I wasn't going to force the mm -hmm. issue at all. It was just... And then, yeah, I do remember our first meeting, and yeah, um, yeah, you were you were pretty downcast, as I yeah. recall. But yet, mm -hmm. you were you had uh, very wide eyes and very open ears, mm -hmm. you know, as I remember meeting you for that first time. Yep. So, well, the other thing too, and I, I remember my uh, mother-in-law and father-in-law mentioning you at some point in between those. I think it may have been. Uh, on the day of Amanda's celebration service, meant more impactful that you for them that you were there than it was for me because again I wasn't processing it. But I think for them it was one of those things where they met somebody face to face who had just walked through something similar and was and was on seemingly the other side of that was still declaring the goodness of the Lord in that. And I think that just gave them this immediate spark of hope that was like okay, we're going to get through this somehow. I don't know how, but we're going to get through this. Yeah. And I wonder even as I say that, just how much, you know, testimony of us, like what, what it does when we testify, hey, this is the journey that I've been on. This is my story. You know, there is hope in it that gives somebody even right now this like, okay, I think I can make, if they were able to make it, you know, if, the, if, if Jesus in them, was able to raise them back from the the dead spiritually, so to speak, then he can do that for me too. Because right. I think that's what happened in them that bolstered their faith a little bit when you met them. Right. And then there was a, a couple weeks later, you were visiting your 
wife and daughter's gravesite. Yes. And talk to the listener about that because this is a, <laughs> this is not, this is this is the Lord. Like if anybody's listening to this and you don't believe in God, yeah. hey, get ready because that your belief is about to get blown up. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, well, this was uh, actually on uh, Thanksgiving weekend. It was Thanksgiving Sunday mm-hmm. um, of 2015, mm-hmm. and. Um, my son regularly attended church with me. Um, he was a college student at the time, but he would still come home often on weekends, and, and we'd go to church together. So right after that particular church service, uh, I, I said, hey, son, um, let's go up to the cemetery and visit mm-hmm. Mom and Kelly's grave. And he said, sure. And um, so we did. We It was just a 10-minute drive up the road to the cemetery, and so we were standing in front of the headstones as we had often done uh, many times before and just kind of meditating on um, the experience and, um, you know, not having them around, just having come off uh, Thanksgiving uh, time period. But uh, something caught the corner of my eye when we were standing there and it happened to be just a, this little uh, marble placard mm. that uh, the cemetery uh, puts out on all freshly uh, mm-hmm. dug graves, so to speak. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to go over and, and look at that placard and mm-hmm. see uh, when and who it might have been. And I was blown away because, Davey, the name on that placard uh, was your wife's name, mm-hmm. Amanda, Amanda Blackburn. Mm-hmm. And it, it was within a matter of uh, uh, 10 feet away mm-hmm. from my wife and my daughter. And I was I was just stunned. I was blown away. I mean... If that isn't the evidence of the hand of right. God um, bringing uh, you and I together yeah. in terms mm-hmm. of our families, but bringing three godly women mm-hmm. together resting uh, in the same place, yep. um, just a, a remarkable discovery. Yeah. And, I, and I remember I actually reached out and mm-hmm. uh, contacted your father-in-law first, mm-hmm. uh, Phil, Phil Byers, and uh, asked him if he knew anything about, you know, that 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 was even uh, uh, planned purposely in any way or mm-hmm. that you had any insight as to whether or not uh, uh, Mary Lynn and Kelly Herb were just a matter of feet away from Amanda Blackburn. Yeah. And, and the response was no. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, it was just, well, just clearly yeah. uh, the hand of God. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's the, so, you know, faith is the evidence of things not seen, right? Um, it's this hope that we have that we know Right. It's like, and, and I think as I started hearing things like that, the first year of my healing, these providential, what some people would call coincidences and we call Mm -hmm. providence, there's no coincidence. Mm -hmm. Right. No. Um, Then for me, that became like this, um, almost like an investigative reporter tracking down clues. You know, what am I? Okay, God, you're doing something in this. And I'm just going to follow these clues, Hmm. these little pieces that you're putting in front of me of, hey, look, my hand's in this. Hey, look, my hand's in this. Hey, look, my hand's in this. This isn't a coincidence. This is is my hand. I'm doing something here. And just watching his thumbprints and all these things. And, you know, I think that's probably what I would tell anybody. Hey, if you're trying, if you're trying, you can find the Lord in your circumstance if you look Mm -hmm. and if you search. You know, he says that if you, um, if, if you are searching, 
um, for truth, you'll find, you'll find him, you know, ask and the door will be open to you. Seek and you will find, um, you know, asking will be given to you, knock and the door will be open to you. And so, you know, Christy and I are watching Quantico right now, right? Which yep. is like a show of like trying to figure out what's going on. And this is, this is kind of sometimes our journey in faith is going, okay, God, where are, what's going on here? What's happening here? And so I remember hearing that and just being astounded and going, okay, whoever this Todd Herb guy is, I kind of <laughs> vaguely recollect, you know, but I, it's, yeah, at some point we need to sit down and talk. And then you reached out to me yeah. and we sat down and it was, I think it may have been March or something yeah. of that year. And I remember a couple of the things we talked about, just like you said, comparing notes. Um, I remember specifically though, uh, looking at your, your ring finger and seeing that you still had your ring on yep. and two years after. And I don't know if you brought it up or if I brought it up. I think maybe, I think maybe you brought up the idea of remarrying and I couldn't pallet the idea of yeah. it, you know, at that point. And you knew that because yeah. you couldn't, you couldn't either, but we had, it started a conversation for right. us. Right. Um, talk to me about that from yeah, your perspective yeah, a little I, bit. It's uh, funny, I do recall that, those <laughs> details. I'm impressed that you recall. Um, but um, yeah, I, I had continued to wear my wedding band mm-hmm. um, and had felt very strongly that I was still the husband of Mary Lynn mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and still felt attached to her and married to her. And it was just uh, a part of, of me and even a, a part of a symbolism of of me wanting to to remain uh, a yeah. part of her, yeah. Um, in in terms of what we had had before, and and not just that, but I I knew within my heart that I was um, so distant from even considering any kind mm-hmm. of a new relationship. So it may have been a little bit of subconscious effort to say. Uh, Hey, ladies, uh, I'm unavailable. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're such a, a dashing young man. You need to beat those ladies off, right, with a stick. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but that was a that was a far consideration oh, from man. my mind, uh, truly. Yeah, and and I do remember posing that question to you, or ha- you and I having a conversation, and you expressed much the same that you mm-hmm. couldn't even imagine, you know, life without Amanda or mm-hmm. anyone else in your life, right. Yeah. Right. So that was March of 2016. Now, not soon after that, uh, some there was some turn of events for you in right. your life. Right. And, you know, at some point, and you guys can then kind of, you can start filling in here, Kathy, but at some point, Kathy enters the picture. Okay. But right. first, I want to hear some of Kathy's story yeah, and absolutely. her backstory on this so we can mm-hmm. see where God has merged you guys mm-hmm. into. And so, Kathy, why don't you... Um, why don't you just talk to us a little bit about uh, some of your personal tragedy, your personal crisis, mm-hmm. and you know when it when that took place, and kind of what led you up to the point of meeting Todd. Mm, that's that, that's a lot. But. <laughs> well, let's start well, with some of your personal tragedy, and then we yeah. may have to take a break yeah. and go into a part two of this. But okay. yeah, let's start with that. Okay. Well. Um, honestly, my tragedy even before my first husband it began. Really, back with my dad, mm. um, I am from a family of 11 brothers and sisters. Wow. And um, I'm the ninth of, of the siblings. And um, at the age of 13, when my dad was 44, he died of a heart attack. Mm. Um, so it really stretches back there. And my mom still had seven of us at home 
that she raised mm. uh, by herself. Oh, wow. Um, in the midst of that, and actually back in 2005, my oldest sister, Connie, uh, she um, developed breast cancer mm. and had a four-and-a-half-year battle with that, and uh, my sister went to be with the Lord as well. So um, we were, we were uh, accustomed... <laughs> which I hate to use that word, mm. but we had already been through two people in our immediate family uh, that we lost. Wow. And, um, you were acquainted with grief. Very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also saw how God uh, was coming more and more into my life mm. as far as um, walking through uh, the grieving process. Mm-hmm. It was very different from when I was young and 13, uh, to when I was a pretty young Christian, when I lost my sister, and then really more developed uh, in my walk with the Lord when I lost my first husband. Mm. My husband and I, my first husband and I, we had been married for 27 and a half years. Wow. And uh, he was my high school sweetheart. Wow. So we had really been together for 32 years, and I didn't know anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, we have three children and uh, Jeremy and Lauren and Grace, and they were all uh, young adults. Two of them were in college, and then our youngest daughter, Gracie, was a senior in high school. Mm. And um, my husband was 47 years old, and he happened to uh, wake me up in the middle of the night and did express that he knew he needed to go to the hospital. Mm. Um, in the midst of that, within 20 minutes, he was he was gone. Wow. We later discovered that he had a, an aneurysm, an aortic aneurysm. He he died very quickly. We didn't know um, that he was gone. I had a sense of that when I was working on him. I did give him CPR until. They uh, showed up to take over, and immediately they ushered the girls and I out of the room. Uh, The girls were there with me, and um, we sat in the kitchen, and I grabbed both of them and pulled them up close to me. We just didn't really know what to do. Uh, At that time, and we knew, I knew, the Holy Spirit was taking over. Mm-hmm. He was telling us what to do. Mm-hmm. And I began to pray with the girls in my arms and asking God, what do we do? Um, he did bring such a, a, a peace of his presence, even in the midst of a lot of chaos mm-hmm. uh, in the other room. Uh, he brought a lot of peace into that situation, and we began to talk calmly. Mm. We knew that we needed to get dressed. We knew that we needed to grab phones, purses, and we needed to get to get out the door. We did follow uh, the ambulance, but we were in no rush. And within moments after arriving at the hospital, we knew, uh, found out that he did not make it, Mm. that he was gone. So at the same point that Todd was talking about, when you're standing there, you are realizing that your life has just been altered. Yeah. It's, it was completely altered at that point. 
I walked out of that hospital at five o'clock in the morning, realizing I was no longer married and I did not have my husband that I was going to go home to, or he Mm. was going to come home to me and to us. So uh, thus began the process of what does it look like uh, to be a widow? Mm. And um, I... There, there's so many ways that I can go with you in this in this story, but I really have to go back and reflect on the fact that you were talking about people who have walked this journey, who um, have come out on the other side, and mm-hmm, they know. Mm-hmm. And my mother was the one who was on the other side wow, at yeah. this at this juncture in my story. Uh, she was going to be integral and how God was going to use my mother to give hope and and it, and give me a place where I could ask questions and be okay yeah. without answers and that she could extend hope because of what I I watched her go through yeah. myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember one of the first places I stayed after Amanda passed was my grandparents' house and each of my grandparents lost their spouse, their first spouse. Mm-hmm. And um I was really grateful because I like they had such a calmness and a, a, a peace about them, even mm. in the hospital. You know, obviously, extremely distraught over the situation, and yet there was a just their presence there for our entire family of yeah. like an anchor for our family of saying like, "Hey, we've we've walked, we've each walked through our own tragedies, and the Lord has you know been good and faithful through all of these, and mm-hmm. that heritage and that that legacy and that foundation mm-hmm. was so." Um, affirming to me. And then there were some, some times that I was like, hey, I can't even talk about this right now. Times that they would bring up some things that were way beyond where I was at. You know, mm-hmm. well, when you get to this point, when you get to this point, and it was, it was trying to be encouraging, but it was like, hey, I just can't even think about that right now. Yes. And um, But what I'm so grateful for is that, like you said, there are people who are along in the journey and you can you can really kind of lean on them and borrow faith from them of saying, okay, you survived this and you mm-hmm. laid out a, almost a almost a, a little bit of a roadmap, even though the, the Holy Spirit is mm-hmm. the only one that can really, but you've kind of laid out a roadmap for me um, in just mm-hmm. watching you walk through this that mm-hmm. I know that I can also walk through it well with the Lord. And so... I think uh, a lot of the people that Todd said that surrounded him, it was really my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have tremendous faith. And for what our family has had to walk through, it was almost like an automatic, we knew mm-hmm. what to do. They knew what to do. Yeah, and wow. they immediately started surrounding me and and my kids wow. and lifting us up. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so that was an important element. And one of the things that I wanted to share was, and, and I had spoken with Todd about this, that when you have been married, you have become one. Mm-hmm. And when I was one with my husband and when he died, we were I was torn in two. Yeah, you felt like you're half then. Very much. Yeah. And um, God's graciousness in his mercy and his love for me, he had to describe, he, he had to help me to understand what I was getting ready to go through. Mm. And um, he very much laid it out for me and spoke very deeply. And I, and I again, I've journaled all of mm. this. Um, 
that he let me know that I was torn in two mm. and that I was really bleeding. Mm -hmm. uh, he also let me know that uh, that very day that he was my husband mm. at that point in time. Wow, yeah. And as he let me know that, he began to describe what the process was going to look like, and he did it with the imagery of a hospital. Mm. And he let me know that as I was torn into that he actually had sewn himself to me mm. in the place of where Mark was taken away. Mm. And that was how he was stabilizing me, um, that he was stopping the bleeding. Wow. Um, at that time, he also gave me the imagery that I very much was in ICU, that mm. he was going to be... Um, my physician, mm -hmm. as well as my husband, but he was also going to be calling the shots. He mm. was going to be letting me know um, and everyone else know who was going to be allowed in that room, mm. who was going to be allowed to be around me, and he was going to dictate my healing. Mm. And um, so I, I, I understood that. Yep. I understood that he was going to be very protective because when you're in ICU, not everybody can come in right. to that inner place right. and be with you. And so he was very selective on who he would let in that room. Mm -hmm. And it was really my family and um, our small group was allowed in that room. Uh, they were allowed into that place where they could minister to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that it, it was producing the healing uh, that needed to take place. He also let me know that this was going to be a time where, uh, just like anyone that's with a prosthetic, I, it's kind of like a, a crude analogy, but he had to explain this to me that I was going to be in that bed for a while, yeah. and then I was going to learn to get up, mm. uh, sit up in the bed, and then I was going to be able to get out of the bed. And then I was going to be able to start walking again, but it, by no means was I going to be running, right. jumping. It was going to be a process. So he helped me to understand that the journey is one, that it was going to be done in phases. Mm. It, was, it was going to be very um, painstaking and uh, that he was going to be there every mm -hmm. step of the way because he had attached himself to me. And wow. he used that word over and over again mm -hmm. to let me know that I was attached to him. I wow. was sewn to him. Wow. Okay, so before we break on part one and come back and do a part two, there was, there was a lot of time that elapsed between yes. Kathy, you meeting Todd. More mm -hmm. time, from what I recall, yes. uh, for Todd's story. Now, spoiler alert, Todd and Kathy are married right now. <laughs> but we want to tell you the story of that because there's so much more to the story of that. Mm -hmm. But how long was it for you, Kathy? I was a Mark, widow for eight years. A widow for eight years. Yes. And then Todd, your timeline was? Yeah, I had uh, been a widower for two and a half years. Two and a half years. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was when you guys met, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, that was right. the timeline when you met. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I th which I think is really important to, w based on what you're talking about, people heal in different Yes. paces mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. in, in different stages. And it doesn't mean one person's, doesn't, it, it's not an indicator of um, how spiritual you are or how close, no. you know, your faith or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's the Lord's determination, like what you said. He's very when, jealous. Yeah. I told, mm. and that was one thing that I kept telling Todd, he's, 
um, God is very jealous for us, mm-hmm. and not wow. not in a sense that um, that He's going to keep us to ourself mm-hmm. to Himself, but He's He was very jealous for Todd's heart mm-hmm. and my heart, yeah, and in being so careful how He was going to line this out. And like who he was going to let in that ICU room yep. because I was his. Yep. And he was going to oversee the whole process. And uh, Todd belong, belongs to him too. Right. And, and he was very careful with both of our hearts mm-hmm. um, to make sure that we were at a place where we were healthy yeah. and we were ready. Yeah. Well, it's almost, and I felt this way for me, a reversion back to before you're married at all and and what God designed for um, for your heart is to be fulfilled and satisfied in him and him alone right mm-hmm, yes. you even see that in the beginning of scripture in the beginning of time with mm-hmm. God establishing relationship with Adam and then putting Adam to sleep and establishing relationship with Eve mm-hmm. and each one of them have relationship with God first and that's the way that God wants to build it out so that we can love the way that, you know, yes. we love because he first loved us. It's not mm-hmm. just that we love God back because he first loved us. It's because we, it's, we know how to love mm-hmm. other people selflessly mm-hmm. and unconditionally mm-hmm. and with, you know, no limits. We know how to do that because God first loved us. Mm-hmm. And we can't, mm-hmm. we can't have that establishment if we preemptively step into something you know, without God being our first, right? And learning how to receive exactly. His love is so important. Right, right. And to receive His love when you're in such a a, a desperate place mm-hmm. and realizing that I can't, I like you said, I can't heal myself. Right. I can't do this. And um, I had a lot of discussions with God about mm. that and allowing Him and receiving from him what I needed mm. each day, each season that I was going through. Because, you know, you're not just going through it by yourself. You're with your children. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you're going through it with them as well. And you're having to tend to their needs. Right. So it just has to get to a place where it's okay. Right. They're right. okay. Yeah, man. That's so good. Okay, so we have a lot we're going to talk about in the next episode. We want to break down. This is really going to be fantastic. And I love this because we're, you know, nearing uh, February, Valentine's Day, when this mm-hmm. is going to be released. And so there's going to be a lot of this talk of love and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of this talk of romance, a lot of this talk. And I just think it's so cool that now we're about to expound on what it really and truly looks like to, to love, you know? Because mm-hmm. I sit here, as I sit here and think about our story, right? The four, the four of us, our stories and individual stories. And you have this phrase that is often talked about as like the one, you know, you're mm-hmm. trying to find the one or you're mm-hmm. trying to, oh man, when the one comes along, you know, then I'm going to be fulfilled and satisfied. And, um, you know, what you're just talking about, Kathy, uh, that kind of dispels that idea of mm-hmm. the one being any person that, mm-hmm. you know, is walking this earth right now. There's no way that that could, that could be the case. And so, I want to kind of talk through some more of that, but uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, sign off for this episode and uh, come back for part two. So make sure you join us for part two of our conversation with Todd and Kathy Erb. Man, that was heavy. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, 
I, you know, as I was sitting there interviewing Todd, I was even, and I, this is why I asked him that question about the imagery that he still sees in his head, but I was like kind of having some of those, you know, flashbacks of when I found Amanda. Um, and there's nothing that really prepares your heart for that. Um, when, when you have some kind of like a, you know, PTSD response, I wouldn't say there's, I have, or even as Todd was explaining, his responses have had some crazy PTSD responses because of the veil or the cloak of God's grace that he was describing. But you still get some of that just like heart beating, like, you know, those memories flooding back in the details of all of that. And so, um, it's super, super heavy. And, um, I'm just grateful that even in the midst of such, um, horrific tragedy, uh, God is is still and 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 he does still write triumphant stories. Yeah, for sure. You know, one thing um that that stood out to me was um when Todd was talking about um that that moment, right? That he walks he mm-hmm. walks in the house um and as he's waiting on the the medical team mm-hmm. to arrive yep. um knowing that he has to make a decision uh, yeah. whether or not he's he's going to follow Jesus, like yeah. put his hope and his faith in Jesus or or run in the opposite direction right. and just be full of bitterness. Um, would you say that's something similar to your story? Yeah, I certainly knew that, like he said, that my life had been completely turned upside down in that moment mm-hmm. and that uh, there was something much bigger than me going on there, much bigger than my life going on there, and that I was going to have to either choose to get bitter or get better. Yeah, that's good. And um, every one of us has that choice, no matter how grave our tragedy is. And I think we have that choice. I think what's even more important would be preparing to make that choice. Mm -hmm. You know, some listeners, you know, you've walked through your trial or your tragedy, you're walking through it right now. And some, some haven't yet. And, um, you know, I'd like to say that my greatest trial is past me, but I, you know, I don't think that's life. I think that there's right. going to be a lot more trials ahead. And so during peacetime, during times where you feel like you're on the mountaintop, it's important to prepare mm-hmm. and train for the trial that you're not yet in um, it, because you can make the choice now. Yeah. Hey, whenever that hits my life, I'm going to choose to lean into Jesus. Yeah. And then it becomes muscle memory mm-hmm. when that happens, you know, and and uh, you almost do it without even realizing it. And I think that Todd would say the same thing, but I experienced just this like carrying of God's grace and kind of muscle memory of just leaning into the Lord, you know, because of multiple choices I'd made to to lead into the Lord through smaller uh, adversity, yeah. you know. Yeah, if you as a listener are kind of feeling like you're at that impasse, like, mm-hmm. hey, you have to decide whether you're gonna chase hard after Jesus or um, turn your back on him and you like, I don't know, would like some counsel through that. I'd encourage you guys to reach out to us. Um, Hello at DaveyBlackburn.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to to walk you through that or or point you, help help you find a local church in your area, um, help you get connected to community wherever you are. Um, And then too, if if you're trying to train for the trial that you're not yet in and don't know where to start, um, we'd love to hear from you too. Maybe we can walk you through what it looks like to to spend time with Jesus every day, spend time in the Bible, um, what it looks like to pray, any of those things. You know, we'd We'd love to be a resource for you in that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, we always love when we hear from you guys. We always love hearing your reviews on this too. It's cool to go and read that. So we'd encourage you to rate and review this podcast. Um, It helps us to get this out to more and more people. Um, And so, you know, please, if you haven't done that, go and do that. Um, And then also we'd love to to thank Sleeping at Last Mm -hmm. 
for the music that he provides each and every time for this podcast. You can go listen to him where any, uh, wherever music is streamed or downloaded. Yeah. And, um, and you can also uh, rate and review our podcast, the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, at um, Google, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, all of the different places that um, podcasts are streamed. But I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about this second part of this interview mm-hmm. um, because I feel like that I need some resolve now. I yeah. need to, you know, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to have them on the podcast. So I don't, um, uh, I, you know, I'm, 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 I hate that you guys have to wait <laughs> <laughs> because, man, it's just a really special, special um, second part. So why don't we go ahead and listen to an excerpt from that and we'll see you next time on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Maybe the question even deeper is, what does it really mean to be fully healed? Or is there such a thing? <laughs> is there you such know? a thing? Yeah, you know, honestly, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Because uh, when even when I first started dating Davy, I went to um, just some women in our in our congregation. I just was mentioning to her that I didn't know if I wanted to date him because I wasn't sure if he was fully healed. Because if he didn't have a great foundation and was healed, he would kind of use me as a crutch. Mm. And then after a while, once he started healing, he wouldn't need the crutch anymore. So what would he need me for? Mm. And I told my great grandma that, and she said, "Honey, he's not a crutch to you. He's your leaning post, and you're his <laughs> leaning post when he, you know, when you need yeah, him." Leaning so, post, not a crutch. Mm, yes. <laughs> so that's how I started seeing it. It was more of like, you know, whenever he's feeling weak, like I'm there for his leaning post, and, and vice versa. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you also commented earlier, Davey, as far as. Um, what's the timing of all that really yeah. look like or feel like? And, and and I remember, even as I met with you on that one occasion, maybe, maybe the very first occasion mm-hmm. um, in the Starbucks, um, it's just like, well, is the time frame based upon what others might perceive? Mm-hmm. You know, is it maybe what others might be saying or mm-hmm. thinking or telling us? Or is it really left up to our own hearts? Mm-hmm. And the more that time has passed, the conclusion for me is it's really what my own heart tells me yeah but mm-hmm. even even more so for me it was uh, the the placement of that love in yeah. my heart that healing right uh, that had mm-hmm. taken place uh, by god himself mm-hmm.